There is little doubt that Hollywood has become the modern day pulpit. They spend billions and billions of dollars each and every year in order to tell their story, in order to create stories that will influence people. And boy, do people watch. Millions and millions of people go to the theaters each and every week to be entertained. Well, the problem with entertainment for so many is that it's mindless. It's not thoughtful. The very word to be entertained means to have your thoughts dumbed down. But I think that we are supposed to think about things. I think we are supposed to think about life and the messages that are coming in to our hearts and into our minds. And so the scripture says that we must guard our hearts and our minds. What we want to do is take some movies that have some pretty positive messages and use them as a catalyst to open God's word together to find out the truth of God's word because all truth, even if it comes from Hollywood, is God's truth. But we want to warn you, not everything in these movies are good. Not everything in these movies are wholesome. And you need to watch these kinds of things all the things that we need to watch. We need to watch with a filter in our life. We need to watch with a guard on our hearts because the scripture says to guard our hearts and minds. And we've taken a lot of time to pick movies that we think are overall pretty good. But in general, we need to be better at guarding our hearts and our minds. Imagine a soldier the size of an insect. The ultimate secret weapon. If you give God-like powers to everyone, it's going to be chaos. So how do we stop him? By knowing I. Scott, I've been watching you for a while. You're different. And I believe everyone deserves a shot at redemption. Do you? Absolutely. My days of breaking into places and stealing stuff are over. What do you want me to do? I want you to break into a place and steal some stuff. Makes sense. Are you ready to become the hero? Now, this suit has power. You have to learn how to control it. And these are your greatest allies. You're kind of cute. Whoa. When you're small, you have superhuman strength. You like a bullet. So you need to know how to punch. You want to show me how to punch? Show me how to punch. That's how you punch. You tried to hide your suit from me. Now, it's going to blow up in your face and destroy everyone you care about. You think you could stop the future? You're just a thief. No, I'm Ant-Man. I know. It wasn't my idea. You guys ready? Yeah, how good, huh?
So Scott Lang has created some oversized problems for himself in this movie. So let me just start by getting you up to speed on this, uh, this movie called Ant-Man because I think there are some incredible, and I mean incredible biblical themes scattered throughout this Marvel movie. So let's start. Uh, a, year, a few years ago uh, in the movie, Scott Lang, uh, our would-be hero in the storyline, uh, made some foolish decisions in his life and he used his, let's say, various skills to commit some Robin Hood-type criminal acts where essentially he uh, claimed that he was simply protecting the people from these large corporations that were stealing money from innocent people. Well, long story short, he gets caught and ends up in prison. And while in prison, his wife divorces him and ends up being remarried. And in the process of all of this, he begins to lose his daughter, Cassie, who he loves more than life itself. And his ex, at this point, makes it very clear to Scott, upon his release from San Quentin Prison, that he needs to get a solid job and start paying child support in order to even have meager visitation rights. Well, unfortunately, as you well know, a prison record and a solid job do not automatically go hand in hand. Uh, So Scott really does want to do good with his life. He really does want to change, but he's seeing his options kind of slip away, and he's tempted to kind of go back into this life of crime because he has to figure out a way to get some money in order to see his daughter, who he loves, 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 right? So that's when retired scientist Dr. Hank Pym steps in and offers Scott a little job that just might shrink his employment and money issues, but it also will involve shrinking Scott himself. You see, this eccentric genius scientist guy discovered something what they call in the movie the Pym particle uh, many years earlier, and it's an amazing substance that when used in conjunction with this suit, it, it shrinks the distance between atoms, and it takes a grown man, and it shrinks him down to the size of a... Of an ant, that's right. Now, this is true Hollywood stuff here, right? This make-believe world. But it is kind of fun to think about the possibilities of what it would be like to have a superhero the size of an ant. Well, in this movie, there are some evil people thinking about those exact possibilities of an ant-sized superhero, or maybe we should say a supervillain. And for decades now, Dr. Pym has tried his hardest to keep this this suit out of the hands of the wrong people, and he's tried to keep it out of military applications, but after losing control of his company, it looks like uh, this remarkable invention is going to slip into the hands of the wrong people, and if it gets into the hands of the wrong people, no telling what will happen to this world. So it's crucial that somebody stops these evil characters, and that becomes Scott's job. Scott's job is that he needs to break out his cat burglar skills again and steal back this invention from the bad guys back into the hands of the good guys. But the problem is, is that the, where this invention is being, is being kept is like a fortress and no normal man can get in. And so that's when they realize that Scott has to take the pin particle for himself and shrink himself down. And so he'll have to take on a very small role in a very large play, which, let's say, turning himself into an Ant-Man in order to have an itty-bitty role in saving the entire world. So, are you up to speed on the movie? Okay, you all caught up? But here's the thing. Behind the Marvel comic superhero, supervillain storyline, there is another storyline at work here. There really is. Uh, And and it's a storyline of what we're going to call the story of redemption. This story of redemption, it's really classic Hollywood, isn't it? Where uh, a bad guy becomes a good guy. A wayward guy becomes found. And uh, a guy who is selfish becomes selfless and becomes 
the hero. This is what Hollywood does all the time. And we love stories like this. We love the story of redemption because, honestly, it's our story. There's part of us that's lost. And there's part of us that's wayward. And there's part of us that's trying to get better. There's part of us that's changing and wanting to become something different and something more. And this movie captures it. But it's more than just the story of this movie. It's more than just our story. I don't know if you realize this, but the story of redemption is God's story. Because if you were to turn to the pages of Scripture, from the very first page of Scripture to the very last page of Scripture, it is God's story of redemption toward you and I. You, you see, the Scriptures paints this picture of, of how we were created by God, and we were created to know and love and follow and be in right relationship with God. But you know the story. We've broken that. You know who you are, and I know who I am, and you know the story of humanity. We've spent a lifetime running from God and doing it our way. And humanity, from beginning of the pages of Scripture until this very page, this very day, has been a story of men and women like you and me running from God and turning from God, trying to take life into our own hands and taking on destructive habit after destructive habit after destructive habit, hoping that it won't blow up in our face. But it does. But the story of God is not just about us running. It's the story of God running toward us. The story of God is God who reaches toward us. The story of redemption is there's a God who loves us and wants to be in right relationship with us. And he calls us and he convicts us and he challenges us and he intercedes in our life and he intertwines in our life and he speaks to those who are willing to listen. It is the story of redemption. Now let me tell you something, friends. I don't know how that sounds to you. I mean, some of you might think, well, that sounds a little romanticized, you know, the story of redemption. Or you might think it sounds, I don't know, churchy or cheesy. I don't, I don't know what it sounds like to you, but I can tell you what it sounds like to me. That sounds like a necessary story. Because I know who I am. I know what goes on in my own soul. I know where I've been. I know who I've been. And I know what I want to be, and I know that I need redemption. I know that I need a savior. I know I need somebody to reach into my life and do for me what I cannot do for myself. I don't know about you. Let me tell you something, but I know I need this. And so for me, this is entirely necessary. And I think, listen friends, I think most of us in this room realize this too. That we have some struggles that are deep inside of us. That if we don't get some help along the way, we are not going to become all that God wants us to become. I think all of us, every single one of us in this room, even if you're not sure you believe, I, I, I think you have this God-shaped hole inside of you. And you try to fill it with all sorts of things. But ultimately, you end up empty because it needs to be filled with him in a relationship with him. And so this little ant movie follows the biblical narrative more than you would think. It's an amazing little story that, that kind of coincides with what the Bible is already teaching us. So you see right from the beginning of this movie, the main character, uh, Scott Lang, gets out of prison. And you see that he's done something wrong. And, and you see that he's paid his debt to society. But, but he can't get rid of the guilt. He can't get rid of the things that he's done. He's carrying this around with him. And, and you could literally say that he's messed up his life. And he's carrying the repercussions of this. And he's literally carrying what you and I might call the sin of his life around with him. He, you know, the sin that he's committed has literally screwed it up for him. He's, it's messed it up for him. And we're not exactly sure how, but he's messed up his relationship with his ex-wife and his family fell apart and, and we see that he's messing it up with his daughter now. 
and that he's beginning to lose the very thing that he loves most in this world. We, we see that he's missed the opportunity to become all that God wanted him to become. And, and, and he's kind of in this state where he's, uh, he's regretting this and he's disappointed with who he is and he's struggling to, to become something different. And let me tell you something, friends. This is true of the power of guilt in our life. You see, when, when we struggle with our past, most of us in this room have things that we look back and we go, gosh, I wish I wouldn't have done that. I wish I wouldn't have headed in that direction. I wish I would have changed this. I wish I would have become this. I knew God was calling me to that or this or the other thing. And we wish now, looking back, that we would have become something different. And, and guilt weighs on us. Guilt has this, let me tell you about what guilt is. Guilt has this defeating power to it, doesn't it? Anybody in the room ever struggle with their guilt of their past? Anybody? It has this defeating power, doesn't it? Where it just crushes you and it knocks you and it beats you down and it holds you down and you try to rise up but it says, no, 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 you can't become something different because you're stuck here. You're this person and you will always be this person but that's just not true, is it? You don't always have to be that person. But, but this thing called guilt, it has this defining power over us. It has this defeating power over us. It has this dividing power over us. It has this ability to keep us where we are and to keep us from where we want to go in life. It's true. Check out this scene. Welcome to Baskin Robbins. Would you like to try our mango fruit blast? Uh, no thanks. Um, I will have... I'll have a burger, please. Oh, we don't... We don't make that. Pretzel, hot pretzel, like mustard, mustard dip. It's ice cream. Basket Robbins. I'll just do like whatever's hot and fresh. Dude. Can I see in the back, Chief? Pronto. Sure thing, Dale. Darby, could you just uh, take care of this idiot? Thanks. Hey, Dale. Come on in. Pull up some chair. Three years at San Quentin, huh? He found out. Baskin-Robbins always finds out. Look, I'm sorry, all right, but I, I... No one would hire me. Breaking and entering, grand larceny. Look, I'm, I'm sorry, I, you know, it was, I, I don't do it anymore. I just try... Respect. I couldn't be happier about it. Really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, thank you, thank you. You really stuck it to those billionaire SOBs. And the more I read about what you did and stuff, I'm like, wow, I know this guy. I'm in charge of this guy. Well, I'm very happy in this job, and I'm, I, I really just yeah, appreciate the yeah. opportunity to well, help support Well, you're fired, of course. I mean, uh, can't really keep you on. Wait, what? Fired? Yeah. Dale, look, it wasn't a violent crime. I mean, I'm a good worker. No, it wasn't a violent crime. It was a cool crime. I'll tell you what, though. This would be totally off the books, off the records, but uh, if you want to grab one of those uh, mango fruit blasts on your way out the door, I'll just pretend I didn't see it. That is such a funny scene. So funny, right? Um, but there is an amazing truth that we need to come to grips with. Every single person in this room, we need to come to grips with this truth. It's found in the pages of Scripture. Uh, we're seeing it lived out in this little movie. And, and here it is, that even in God's story of redemption, listen, even in God's story of redemption, sin comes with a price. It, it's just true. You see, we, we live in this culture that says, I want to do whatever I want to do with no repercussions, I want to do whatever I want to do to anybody else with no repercussions. I want to live the way I want to live with no repercussions. But that's just not how life works, is it? Now, I don't mean to beat up anybody or, or knock anybody down, but I want you to think about this for a moment. Here's what we do. 
We, we spend 20, 30 years of our life eating the way we want to eat, drinking too much, smoking, and doing all these things, refusing to exercise, all this sort of thing. And then we go to the doctor when we're 48 years old, and the doctor looks at us and says, you got terrible news. You, you, your, your heart is failing. You got cancer, or you've had a stroke, or you're getting ready to, to have a heart attack. And what do we do? So often we, we blame God as if it's God's fault. We, we say, God, you, this can't be. This is me you're talking about. This is not what you, th- this is, shouldn't be. And so we ask God, we say, we cry out to God, we say, God, fix it. Fix it. Or we spend a lifetime stuck in addiction. And you know what yours is. And it's taken a toll on you. And we spend a lifetime there hurting every single person that ever loved us. We spend a lifetime breaking trust after trust after trust with every single friend and every single family member that we've ever had. And then one day when we end up alone and broken and desolate, we somehow blame God as if it's God's fault. As if we had nothing to do with it. And so we say, God, I need you to fix this. Or maybe you spend a lifetime buying what you want, when you want. You never say no. You never save. You never invest. And then when you get older, you come to this point where you can't seem to make all the bills work. You can't see, seem to figure it out. And you're looking at retirement and you go, I don't know how I'm going to make it. And you act as if God is at fault. You act as if God needs to fix it. So you cry out to God and you say, God, I need you to fix this. Now, let me tell you something, friends. The truth is, is that we have to pay for our mistakes in life, don't we? Even when God is good and even when God forgives, even when God shows grace and mercy over us, we have to pay for our foolishness. Now, every once in a while, if we're lucky, we'll get away with something scot-free. Like, we know we messed it up. We know we screwed it up. We're like, woo, got away with that one. And we don't want to do it again. But we say, woo, got away with that one. But you know full well that that is not how life normally works. Normally, life works like we have to pay for our foolishness in life. As a matter of fact, this is how the scripture says it to you and to me. It's found in the book of Galatians chapter 6. It says this, starting in verse 7. It says, don't be misled. Don't deceive yourself. Don't kid yourself. Don't think it's not going to happen to you. Because this is how it works in life. It says, you will always harvest what you plant. You put it in the ground, it's going to come up. You plant junk in the ground, junk's going to come up in your life. You plant good stuff in your life, generally good stuff's going to follow. You get what you plant, right? You harvest what you plant. Then it says this, those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from their own sinful nature. Listen, you keep putting junk in your life over and over and over, you're going to get junk out of your life. It's just, that's what it is. Y'all get this, right? We're, We're all on the same page. This is how life works. And then it says this, but those of us who live to please the Spirit of God will harvest an everlasting life from the Spirit of God. So God says there's repercussions. You know, sometimes, yeah, we get lucky and we get away with stupid, right? But the point is, is generally stupid comes with a price because God wants us to learn from stupid. God wants us to grow from stupid. God wants us to change as a result of stupid in our life. You hear me? Do do you understand this? Do you get this? This is true of all of us. And Scott Lang in our little movie here, he figures uh, by now that his decisions are coming uh, up and catching him, right? That he has consequences to all of his earlier life decisions. And and though he's paid his price to society, listen, he's still paying a heavy price for poor decisions earlier in his life. For crying out loud, the guy can't even hold down a job at Baskin-Robbins. If you can't hold down a job at Baskin-Robbins, you are in trouble in life. Amen? It's just true. And so there's this, another scene in the movie, because it's not just Scott's story, 
of trying to find redemption. It's a story of Dr. Hank Pym as well. And uh, there's an interesting scene early in the movie where he enters his old corporate headquarters, the company that he founded and built and very successful at. But there was a corporate uh, takeover at some point and he was ousted from the company. But his daughter still works for this company. Now him and his daughter, they've been estranged for years and they haven't talked for years and there's a brokenness in their relationship. And they run into each other in the lobby of this building. And it's very interesting because uh, in, in, the, in the lobby, there's this very, cold exchange between this father and daughter and you can just look on the face of this father and you can look on the face of this daughter and you can see the brokenness you can see the hurt you can see the disappointment you can receive you can see the regret in it all so the new ceo of this company called mr cross he is uh the villain of our story he's a super villain in the story he sees this inner exchange between the the father and daughter and he looks and he says to the father he says some wounds never die some wounds never die. In other words, it always catches up to you. Always. And that's just true. That's how life works. But this leads us to a whole different conversation. Something that we need to talk about as a church, as, as Christian people, if you want to try to follow Christ, we're going to have to deal with our past. We're going to have to deal with the guilt of our past. And what's amazing in, in this story is that there's two different men, very different men, a two-bit criminal and a very successful genius um, scientist. And yet, both of these guys struggle with the exact same thing. They struggle with guilt and what to do with their past. I think you'll understand when you check this scene out. Peanuts! Oh, happy birthday! I'm so sorry I'm late. I didn't know what time your party started. It was on the invitation. He didn't get an invitation, but he came anyway. Well, I'm not gonna miss my little girl's birthday party. I need to go tell mommy you're here. Oh, you don't. What are you doing here, honey? I'm paid a dime in child support. You know, right now, if I wanted to, I could arrest you. It's good to see you too, Paxton. Mommy's so happy you're here. She choked on her drink. <laughs> hey, what could I have for you? Can I open it now? Of course, sweetheart. It's your birthday. <laughs> you are my bestest friend. What is that thing? He's so ugly. I love him. Can I go show my friends? Yeah, of course, sweetheart. Go ahead. Look, the child support is coming. All right, it's just hard finding a job when you have a rent. I'm sure you'll figure it out. But for now, I want you out of my no, house. Wait, okay? It's my daughter's birthday. It's my, my house. So what? what? It's my kid. You can't just show up here. You know that. Come on. It's a birthday party. Yeah, I know, but you can't just show up. She's my daughter. You know right? the first thing about being a father. Stop it. Really, Maggie? That guy? Come on, you can marry anyone you want. You have to get engaged to a cop. At least he's not a crook. I'm trying, okay? I've changed. I'm, I'm straight. I'm tr I had a job, and... I want to provide. I had a lot of time to think about it, and I love her so much. I missed so much time, and I want to be a part of her life. What do I do? Get an apartment. Get a job. Pay child support. And then we will talk about visitation, I promise. You're her hero, Scott. Just be the person that she already thinks you are. 
Now, Scott, uh, the crook and main character here, he's trying to make it right with his ex-wife. He's trying to be the father he's supposed to be. He's trying to be the man. He's trying to explain himself, uh, but he knows he's losing. He knows this dream is slipping further and further away from him. And then his ex-wife winds up and sucker punches him right in the gut. And she gives that line. What does she say? She says, well, just be the person she already thinks you are. In other words, you're not that person. In other words, you're a fraud as a father. In other words, you're a fraud as a man. You're a wreck as a man. You're not that person. And, and, and Scott just walks away utterly defeated. Now let me ask again, anybody in this room ever struggle with guilt from your past? Anybody ever struggle with life from the past catching up with you? Then you know exactly what Scott is feeling in this moment. Um, Later in this movie, Dr. Pym, uh, he says to his daughter, because he too is struggling with trying to redeem his past, he says, I lost your mother. Such a powerful line. He says, I lost your mother, but I didn't mean to lose you too. What a powerful scene of somebody trying to make it right. And, and here's what we learn about this idea of guilt from the scriptures, is that guilt is universal. Uh, guilt is a human emotion that is universal to all of us. It is something that we all need to deal with in all sorts of ways. And we learn that guilt is crippling or can be crippling. Guilt can be controlling. Guilt can be condemning. Guilt holds us back and it holds us down. As a matter of fact, 2,500 years ago, the prophet Isaiah was dealing with a people who struggled with becoming all that God wanted them to become. And they were struggling with their past, they were struggling with sin, and they were struggling with this thing called guilt. Listen to what Isaiah says 2,500 years ago. He says, therefore a curse consumes the earth. He's talking about how sin has taken over the earth, and, and the weight of that sin is a curse. Now listen, he says, its people must bear its what? Guilt. It must bear their guilt because of it. Therefore, the earth's inhabitants are burned up and very few are left. In other words, guilt comes to almost all of us. Regret comes to almost all of us. And we look back over our life and we say, I wish I could have, I should have done, I should have been different. But now we're living with those re repercussions. Now, it's really interesting to me in this film, though, that you have two completely different characters. One is this petty theft and, you know, he's just, you know, just struggling to make it. And then the other character is this very successful, very wealthy doctor who has been successful at everything he's ever tried. Um, but, but, but they're struggling with the exact same thing. And what's interesting to me is that Scott is struggling with what he has done. He's struggling with what he's done. And the doctor is struggling with what he could have done. And it's interesting that there are all kinds of different guilt out there. There's a little bit of a spoiler alert here. See, the good doctor um, couldn't save his own wife. You see, Scott's reflecting back on his life. And he goes, I know what I screwed up. I know I did a whole bunch of bad things. But the doctor's struggling with the fact that he wanted to do something and he couldn't do it. And it wasn't his fault. And he's lived with this guilt forever. You see, friends, let me tell you something. There are multiple kinds of guilt out there. There's all kinds of guilt. Some of it's from what we've done. Some of it's from what we've said. Some of it's from relationships that have broken up and you played a role in that. Uh, and then there's the whole other kind of guilt that says, boy, I knew I should have done this. I knew I could have done this. I could have done more. And we struggle with that guilt. A lot of the guilt we struggle with is just missed opportunity, right? Am I right? Like you, you sit there, if you're like me, you go, wow, I know I should be about this. I know I should be heading in this direction. And we simply don't. And we simply don't. And then one day we wake up and we feel so guilty about it because we look back over our life and we say, it's too late now. But what's interesting is God says that guilt can actually be a gift to us. 
Guilt can be a gift from God to do something in us. This is found in the book of 2 Corinthians. Let me read to you what this is about. This is incredible. It says, for there's a kind of sorrow. There's a kind of guilt. There's a kind of sorrow God wants us to experience that leads us away from sin. You see, there is this conviction, there's this sorrow, there is this guilt that's meant to take us somewhere else, away from the things that will hurt us, and to take us to something better in our life. So there's this one kind of sorrow, and it results in what? Salvation. It results in the forgiveness of sin. It results in a life full of peace and hope and prosperity. It's a different kind of a result, right? But then he says, there is no regret in that kind of guilt or that kind of sorrow. But let me say what, what, what happens so often. He says, but worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. Now look up there for a second. I want that to sink into your soul for a moment. Leave it up there for a minute. Look at that. We live in a world that says, I don't want to feel guilt. We, we live in a world that says, you can be guilt-free. We live in a world that says, I'm not to blame. We live in a world that says, it's not my fault. Right? This is true. We, we don't want to feel guilty about anything that we've done. Uh, I hear people say stuff like this. I hear people say, like, well, I don't feel bad about it because what I did in the past, it makes me who I am today. Anybody ever hear that? Anybody ever hear that? Like, I wouldn't change anything about my past because it makes me what I am today. I'm sorry. That's a stupid statement. It is, that's a silly statement, isn't it? Because who in this room wouldn't have an easier life if we would have fixed something in our past? Come on. It's true, right? Who, whose life wouldn't be better? Sure, your, the collection of all your decisions make you who you are today. No doubt about that. But you could be a better person today than you are. If we could go back and fix a few things. But so God comes along and he says, there's a kind of guilt that's meant to do something in you. The kind of guilt that God wants for us is, is this idea that says, you could do something different with your life. The reason God gives guilt from our past behaviors... <coughs> Excuse me. The reason we feel guilt for, for some of the stuff we've done is so that we will be reminded that it does not have to be this way in life. That we get a second chance. This is God's purpose for bringing sorrow and conviction into our life. To say that you can be different, you can become different. Check out this little clip and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> No, I didn't steal anything. I was returning something I stole. You know, you almost had us convinced that you were going to change your ways. They were really rooting for you. It's going to break their hearts. You got a visitor. Who? Your lawyer. I told you I'd be in touch, Scott. I'm starting to think that you'd prefer the inside of a jail cell. Man, sit down. Sir, I'm sorry I stole the suit. I don't even want to know why you have it. Maggie was right about you. How do you know that? She's trying to keep you away from Cassie. The moment things get hard, you turn right back to crime. The way I see it, you have a choice. You can either spend the rest of your life in prison or go back to your cell and await further instructions. I don't understand. No, I don't expect you to. 
But you don't have many options right now, and quite frankly, neither do I. Why do you think I let you steal that suit in the first place? What? Second chances don't come around all that much. So the next time you think you might see one, I suggest you take a real close look at it. Sure, you don't want a different toy? No, I love this one. Mm. Okay. Well, get some sleep. I love you. Mommy? Hmm. Is Daddy a bad man? I heard some grown-ups say he's bad. No. Daddy just gets confused sometimes, you know? I love that line. He says, second chances don't come around very often, and the next time you see one, I suggest that you take a real close look at it. Such a good line, isn't it? Second chances really don't come around, around that often. Let me tell you something, friends. This is where I think Hollywood gets it a little bit wrong. Um, you see, we love these movies about redemption where the bad guy becomes a good guy and the f- slave becomes free and the you know, villain becomes a hero. We love stories of redemption. But the problem with most Hollywood movies that we ever see with the idea of redemption in there is that the person is redeeming themselves. The person is somehow fixing themselves. The person is somehow digging down deep inside of them like there's some hidden strength in them or some sort of hidden hope in them or some sort of hidden purpose in them. But the truth of the matter is this, is that you're right, sometimes we do have to dig deep inside of us. There's sometimes, matter of fact, I would say all the time that we have to move. We have to, in order to change something, we have to become something different. We have to try. We have to make this effort. There has to be some measure of discipline in our life. But let me tell you something. True internal redemption comes from an external source. Let me say this again. Let me say this again. True internal redemption comes from an external source. Listen, friends, let's just be honest for a moment. If humanity could fix humanity, humanity would have already fixed humanity. If humanity would have affi- could fix addiction, we would have fixed addiction. If humanity could fix temptation, we would have fixed temptation. If humanity could fix broken relationship, we would have fixed broken relationship. If humanity could fix broken families, we would not have broken families. If humanity could fix dumb, we would not have dumb. Right? Am I right? Does anybody look around the world and go, what's wrong with us? Because there is something wrong with us. We can't fix us. Absolutely, it's important that you and I try. Absolutely, it's important that you and I make the effort. But let me tell you something again. Our redemption comes from the outside. Our redemption comes to us. And and, and this is what's unique about the Christian faith is is that it comes from a God who reaches toward us. It comes from a God who loves us and sees our waywardness, sees our guilt, sees our regret, sees our disappointment, says, I don't want to leave you there. I see what you could be. I could see, I see what you could become. And God reaches into our world and he redeems us. He saves us. He takes us and does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Amen? And, and this, is, this is one of the things I love about this particular movie because uh, in, in this movie, Scott Lang, the criminal, actually steals from the very guy who's offering him a second chance. 
Scott Lang steals from, from, from Dr. Hank. And Dr. Hank shows him grace, shows him this opportunity for redemption. And friends, this is what God does for, for us. Let me tell you something. We have offended God. Oh, I haven't offended God. Oh, yeah, you have. God created you to live right with humanity. God created you to love and to be generous and open-handed. God created you to be pure of hearts and noble in your intentions. You tell me you haven't offended God? I have. And God, who I have offended, the Father who I have turned my back from, the Father who I have ran from, reaches down into my life and offers to do for me what I cannot do for myself. He looks at my struggle and he looks at your struggles and he says, you can't make it on your own, but I am willing to come and fix what you cannot fix for you. I'm willing to redeem what you cannot redeem for yourself. Friends, let me tell you again, true internal redemption comes from an external source. And, and what's amazing is Paul in the scriptures in the book of Romans begins to, uh, by the way, the book of Romans is written to this Christian church in Rome, this brand new Christian church. And, and these Roman Christians were in the dead middle of the pagan Roman empire. And they're like this little fledgling band of Christians and they're trying to figure out, they just come from this, this culture where it was totally anti-God, totally against everything that was, was holy and pure, right? And they're trying to live out their faith and they have all these regrets from their past, all these things that are holding on to them. And so Paul, in the book of Romans, begins to address some of these things that were holding on to them from their past, right? And, and he makes this incredible little storyline for them in, in the book of Romans chapter 6. He, he begins to say, you know that you can be slaves, Right? And the Roman people are going, oh, yeah, we know Rome has slaves. I mean, Rome made slaves of everybody, right? You all know the story, right? So, so Rome has made, and these people are going, oh, yeah, yeah, we, we know what a slave is. But Paul comes along and says, do you know that you can, be, you can be a slave to somebody, but you can also be a slave to something? You can also be a slave to fear. You can also be a slave to bitterness. You can also be a slave to anger and lust and greed and selfishness. You can be a slave to a whole bunch of things that can hold you on the inside and keep you from becoming all that God wants you to become. And so he ends this narrative, this little storyline about being a slave. He says, but you can be free. And then he gives such a very simple explanation of where that freedom comes from. Romans 6, 23 he says this, for the wages of sin is what? Is death. You earned it. You, it's owed to you. A wage is owed to you. He says, you've earned this. With all the stuff that you've done, all that stuff that's welling up inside of you, it's going to lead nowhere good in your life. It's going to lead to death. He says, but the wages of sin is death. But the free gift from who? God is eternal life found in Christ Jesus our Lord. Somebody in the house needs to say, right on. Right on. Right? Because we need this. So he says from the outside, it's a gift from God. He's like, whoa, 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 I see you trying, but that ain't going to get you very far. Here's a gift. Here's a gift. It's redemption from the outside. And I think if we were honest, whether you're a Christian or not in this room, listen to me real quick. I think if you're honest, you would admit too that you have some internal struggles that you know full well if you don't get your handle on, if you don't somehow change them, if you don't somehow stop this slide in your life, you know full well it will not end well for you. You know full well it will result in what the Bible calls spiritual death. 
where your soul will dry up, where the life inside of you will dry up. You'll become cold and callous and you will live apart from God. You know it, even if you don't believe, you know that there are these internal struggles that could take you out of the game of life. And God says to you and to me, you can't fix it. You can't fix it. You see, this idea of, of redemption is the root of any great story. But let me tell you where the greatest stories of redemption come from. You think of any Hollywood movie you've ever seen? The greatest stories of redemption is when the guy comes down riding on a white horse. Come on. Or a Harley Davidson. Or the army comes in. Right? You, it's those moments where, where everything seems lost, where we're running out of time, where everything's about to crash, and all of a sudden, at the last possible second, somebody's coming, sweeping in as the Savior. And they make great stories. And let me tell you something. That is the story of God. That when he sees you going down for the count, when he sees that you have tried and tried and tried and tried and tried and tried, and you can't fix it, you tried fixing the relationship with your son and you just can't, he says, you turn to me. I'm a savior on a white horse coming in and I'll do for you what you cannot do for yourself. That's so true. And so in the storyline, Scott Lang, um, there's this part where he, he realizes that he's got to change. And he's like, oh, i got to change everything about me. Everything about me. But, but Dr. Hank says something to him. He goes, no, no, no. You don't have to change everything. And really it becomes this parallel that the idea of redemption, biblical redemption, Christian redemption, Christian faith redemption. Listen, it, it's not just a one-time deal like, oh, I was redeemed somewhere back when I was 21. No, 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 no. The story of redemption is an ongoing process. The story of redemption is an ongoing work of God in your life. It's just not a one time and out. Because so many of us go, well, I tried it back when I was 22, and it didn't work. No, the, the story of God is an ongoing story in our life. Do you realize that God has a vision for your life? And some of y'all are going, I got a vision for my life. I don't need God's vision for my life. I got a big vision for my life. And I'm like, whoa, yay for your vision for your life. That's a good vision. I'm glad. I hope you climb the corporate ladder or build that house or buy that cool car. I don't know what your vision is, but I'm just saying God's vision is way bigger than your vision. God's dream for you is way bigger than your dream. You got good dreams, but God's like, whoa, way, way, way out there. Because listen, I'm going to tell you what God's dream is for you and for me. God's dream for you and for me is that you would know him, not just know about him, but that you would walk with him, not just every day, but every moment of every day. God's dream for you is to be right with your creator. And when you get that right, everything else seems to fall in place. Everything else seems to follow behind that. And that's God's dream for your life, that you know him and walk with him and follow him with your very life. So I want you to check out this clip because Dr. Lang is kind of calling Scott to a whole different level of living. Check this out. This isn't the first time these guys have tried to get their hands on game-changing weaponry. You know, that's Mitchell Carson, ex-head of defense at S.H.I.E.L.D., presently in the business of toppling governments. He always wanted my tech. And now, unless we break in and steal the Yellow Jacket and destroy all the data, Daring Cross is going to unleash chaos upon the world. I think our first move should be calling the Avengers. I spent half my life trying to keep this technology out of the hands of the Stark. This is not some cute technology like the Iron Man suit. This could change the texture of reality. Besides, they're probably too busy dropping cities out of the sky. 
Okay, then why don't you just send the ants? Scott, they are ants. Ants, they can do a lot of things, but they still need a leader. Somebody that can infiltrate a place that's designed to prevent infiltration. Hank, I'm a thief, right? I mean, I'm a good thief, but this is insane. He's right, Hank, and you know it. You've seen the footage, you know what Cross is capable of. I was against using him when we had months, now we have days. I'm wearing the suit. Absolutely not. I know the facility inside and out. I know how Cross thinks. I know this mission better than anybody here. We need here. you close to Cross, otherwise this mission cannot work. We don't have time to screw oh, around. Please, he is a criminal. To me, please. I'm your daughter. No! She's right, Hank. I'm not your guy. Why don't you wear the suit? You think I don't want to? I can't. Spend years wearing it. It took a toll on me. You're our only option. Before Hope lost her mother. She used to look at me like I was the greatest man in the world. And now she looks at me and it's just disappointment. It's too late for me. But not for you. This is your chance. The chance to earn that look in your daughter's eyes. To become the hero that she already thinks you are. It's not about saving our world. It's about saving theirs. That was a good speech. Scott, I need you to be the Ant-Man. In the right hands, the relationship between man and suit is symbiotic. The suit has power. The man harnesses that power. You need to be skillful, agile, and above all, you need to be fast. You should be able to shrink and grow on a dime. So your size always suits your needs. Now dive through the keyhole, Scott. You charge big, you dive small, then you emerge big. Now, I don't want to blow the whole movie for you, so I'm not going to play all the super cool, super Ant-Man parts, right? Because you got to go back and watch it yourself. Uh, but wouldn't that be sweet? He says, I want you to become the Ant-Man. And wouldn't it be so cool if you could put on a suit and become the Ant-Man? I mean, that would just be so sweet. Uh, but I love it because they spend like a whole section of the movie trying to teach him what it means to be the Ant-Man. But he, but he keeps screwing it up. He keeps missing his timing. He doesn't quite get it right. But, but Scott is learning to become something that he wasn't before. He's growing into it. He's learning to walk a whole new walk. He's learning to operate in a whole new realm, a whole new suit. And, and here's the thing, friends. All the way through it, 
He, he's tempted to give up, but he doesn't give up. And I'm going to tell you why. He, he doesn't give up because what could be in his life is better than what was. That was good. Let me tell you something. You may want to like, I'm going to put that up there for you. You may want to like take a picture of that. You might want to tweet that to yourself. Because don't you dare give up. Don't you dare give up because what could be in your life is better than what was. Amen? You hear me? Don't you dare give up because what could become in your life is better than what was in your life. And God has begun a work in you. And this is the story of the Christian faith. That you have a God who is a God of second chances. That you have a God who's not just a, a second chance. This, this is the weird thing about the Christian faith. It's, it's an ongoing story of redemption. It's not just a second chance, but it is a third chance, a fourth chance, a fifth chance, a tenth chance, a hundred chance, a hundred and ninety second chances. He looks at you, and when you, when you screwed up, and you're going, I'm done with this. I, I can't go on in faith anymore. I can't be this Christian person I'm supposed to be. God says, don't you dare give up, because what could be in your life is way better than what you had before. Don't you dare go back. Don't you dare give up. So he puts on this suit, and, and he's got to learn a few new things. And it is so true of faith as well, that when you enter this relationship with God, you're new. You start something new and you got to learn to walk in this newness. You got to learn to walk with God. This is a brand new thing in your life. As a matter of fact, there is this parallel that jumps out from the book of Ephesians that it just can't be missed because it literally talks in the Bible about putting on the ant suit. It's amazing. <coughs> he says this. That was a joke, by the way. Um, I don't know if you got that. Uh, but, but here's what it says in the book of Ephesians chapter 6. Listen to this. This is an amazing thing. Uh, he talks about this new work inside of you. So this is the end of the book of, of, of Ephesians. So he's writing to these young Christians at the church of, of Ephesus. And they're trying to figure out what does it mean to walk with God. And, and then he says this to them. Listen to that. He says, oh, oh, wait, wait, wait. A final word to you. He says, a final word to you. He says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. He says, pause for a second. You stay strong because there's going to be times that people come up against you and you think you're going to fail. You think there's not worth walking anymore. You think it's not worth following Christ anymore. And you're going to want to quit. He says, don't give up because what could be in your life is far better than what was in your life. He says, he says be strong. Even when you fail, I feel like giving up, be strong. He says, um, he says put on, the, on all of God's armor. He says, put on the whole ant suit, the whole deal. He says, put on the whole armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil, who is the enemy. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but we are fighting against evil rulers and authorities in the unseen world, in the unseen world against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Listen, our biggest fights are not about against the guy down the hall in the office. Our biggest fights are internal usually, in the unseen world, where there's good and evil raging inside of you and inside of me. And sometimes when we're losing that battle, we feel like giving up, and he says, don't you dare give up, because what could be in your life is far better than what was. He says, therefore, put on every piece of God's armor, the whole suit, right? He says, put it all on, and then you'll be able to resist the enemy in, God's, uh, in, uh, the, enemy in the time of evil. And then it says, then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground. He says, stand your ground. When it's hard, you stand your ground. Don't give up because what could be is better than what was in your life. He says, stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness for shoes. He says, like, when you're in a battle, you don't want to go barefoot. 
You want to have shoes. And he says, the shoes that you need to walk in now, if you've come to faith. And listen, there's some of you in this room, you've come into this place, and there's been a time or two where God has spoken directly to you. You've sat in these chairs, and you go, wow, I think God's talking to me. And you've prayed this prayer, and you go, okay, God, I want to walk with you. I want to do this life with you. I'm going to try to do this. He says, there's some shoes that you got to walk in. you got to figure this out. you got to learn this. you got to walk in these new shoes. He says, and these shoes, listen, these shoes, he says, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you'll be fully prepared. You know what your shoes are? Your shoes are being made right with God. When you live in right relationship with God, you live in peace with God. You don't have to walk around feeling guilty. You don't have to walk around regretting your past. You walk with new shoes. And those new shoes are the peace of God in your life. So you move forward and not backwards. In addition to all of this, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on the salvation of the helmet. Like Ant-Man had the cool helmet. Right? He says, you get a helmet too. And the helmet is salvation. The helmet is forgiveness of God. It covers your mind. Your past is gone. It covers you. It gives you a new hope, a whole new direction. He says, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You see, friends, this this Christian thing is a battle. This Christian thing is a war. And God says, don't you dare give up in that fight. It's just beginning in you. Walk, figure it out. Put on the suit. You're walking in something new. Figure something new out. In this movie, uh, Scott doesn't always give it, uh, get it right. People are giving up on him. And, and in fact, he wants to quit many times. But let me tell you something. You don't give up because what could be is so much better than what was in your life. Let him fully redeem you. This idea of, of, of guilt, this idea of sorrow, this idea is called conviction. Have you heard this word before? Have you heard of this word, Conviction. Conviction is meant to convince you that there's something more. Conviction is meant to convince you that there's something different. Conviction is meant to to convince you that that you've got to become something that you're not. And God says the way to do that is you put on this armor. You put on this new life, this new suit, and you walk in it. It is a process in your life. Don't give up. Because what could be is so much better than what was. Let me, let me just close with one little verse of scripture and then, boy, we're really running late. Ooh, boy. Um, I really liked last night at Riverview. There was no clock for the preacher. It's awesome. Awesome. Okay, so let, let me tell you this. Let me tell you this. Um, you know, matter of fact, one time in this movie, uh, Hank says to Scott, every time it gets hard, you go back to crime. Why do you do that? He says, knock it off. And some of y'all do the same thing. He says, knock it off. And here's why we got to knock it off. We got we to let God's spirit drive us. He says, in him, book of Ephesians, in him we have what? Redemption. In him we have redemption. We have new life through his blood, through the forgiveness of the sin, of our sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he has lavished on us. God gives us this brand new start, this whole new beginning. It's from God. It's from the outside to the inside. It's from an external source to an internal transformation. We can't do it for ourselves. We need to rest in him and accept his new life. You know, this little uh, movie, every once in a while, a Hollywood movie kind of surprises you. And this was a surprise for me, not because of the razzle-dazzle of the Marvel characters and all that. It was because of the razzle-dazzle of this whole idea of redemption. It is a beautiful story of redemption. Now, let me tell you something. This movie is not perfect. It's not the big epic adventure of the age of Ultron and all those kind of movies. And let me tell you a little side note, just a little cultural side note here. Um, 
this movie was disappointing in one way because, you know, I thought this was a great movie for my kids. I thought it was really great storyline and all that kind of stuff. And for the most part, it was clean. But there was so much cussing in this movie. It was very disappointing. And I don't know about you. Maybe I'm old-fashioned, but I don't want my nine-year-old cussing like a sailor. Anybody hear me on that or am I weird? Am I weird? Are you with me on this? And so I mean, let me just, I'm going to throw this out at you real quick. Um, so we discovered this thing called VidAngel. VidAngel. Look it up. VidAngel. And you can watch movies any bleeping way you want. Literally, they bleep out the bad words. It's amazing, okay? And, uh, and I'm, they didn't pay me to tell you that either, okay? I'm just telling you, it's a little freebie. But I'm telling you, this movie has a story of redemption in it. And it's God's story of redemption. It's a story of your redemption. Walk with him. Walk with him. Let me lead us in prayer. Father, we thank you for our time together. Um, thankful for a place to come like this and to revisit your story. And so for some in this room, it's a brand new story and they're, and they're not even sure what to do with it. I just pray, God, that in some way and somehow in their own heart that they would just simply say to you, God, I recognize my need for you. So maybe even in this room, no matter where you're at, maybe you've been here a hundred times, maybe you just need to say it again, God, I recognize my need for you. God, this is an ongoing story in my life and I don't get it right and I'm so sorry for not getting it right. But God, I need you. Maybe you just need to say, God, I need you. Maybe you need to say, God, I need you to forgive my sin again. God, I admit I'm a sinner and I'm far from you so often. I don't want to be that way. Maybe you need to invite Jesus to come straight into your soul. You need to say, Jesus, come and visit in my soul. Take up residence in my soul. Change who I am. I give you the leadership of my life. I invite you into the center of who I am. God, I want to walk with you. I want to learn this new life with you. Please help me, God. Please help me to grow. Forgive me and help me to grow. And God says, if you call on his name, you will be saved. God says, you call on his name, he will come and take up residence in your soul. He says, you call on him, he will lead you. He will talk to you. He will guide you. So, Father, we give this morning to you, God. We give every decision made to you. Help us to walk the way you want us to walk. In Jesus' name, together we say amen. Okay, okay.